Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. Hey Lauren, what are we doing today? Uh, okay, it's kind of, it's kind of a long story. Alright, so. Let's, 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 let's gather around the campfire children. We're gonna hear the, the story right now. The internet campfire, yeah. yes. So back on March 27th, 2013, we published an episode called How Segways Work, uh, which turned out to be about a lot more than just segways. We told the story in this episode of Dean Kamen, an eccentric millionaire inventor, not unlike Tony Stark, he bought his own island this one time, whose own hype worked against him when the very brilliant but very simple people mover, the Segway, premiered. Yep. And if you wanted to go way, way back. Yeah, th- that wasn't the first time we ever talked about Dean King. Yeah, in 2008, Chris and I did a 15 minute long episode. That's how far back we're talking. <laughs> when, when I was able to only say things in 15 minutes uh, called How Dean Came and Works. I don't recommend that episode necessarily because uh, it was before Chris and I really knew how podcasting worked. Hmm. But we we've talked about them a couple of times anyway. Uh, yeah. In that 2008 episode, you guys covered the Luke arm a little bit. Uh, technically, the, the DECA arm after Dean Kamen's medical technology company, DECA. Mm-hmm. Um, but 2008 was the year that the Luke arm came out of its funding period and went on to clinical trials. And if you guys haven't heard about this thing, it's a robotic prosthesis, uh, and it was designed with funding from DARPA's Revolutionizing Prosthetics Program. The The idea behind it sounds like science fiction, okay? It, it's a prosthetic arm that works basically like a biological arm, translating signals from the person's muscles, along with some some foot button input, to perform complex tasks. It's powered at multiple joints. It has 18 degrees of freedom, which is not bad compared to a meat arm's 22 degrees of freedom. Mm -hmm. And it weighs a little bit less, actually, than the average biological arm. Yeah. And in fact, uh, when you say it sounds like it's science fiction, the reason why it's called the Luke arm is that it is... Colloquially, anyway. Yeah. It is is so nicknamed after the character from Star Wars. Luke Skywalker, who, spoiler Spoiler alert, alert. loses a hand. Yeah. um, And... and Gains a father. (laughs) Yes. Gains a father and also an incredible robotic hand that works magically... uh, Exactly like his real hand, almost as though the actor did not have his hand cut off, but merely put on a glove. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, the the Luke arm that we're talking about here. Not quite as spectacular as that, but still amazing. Oh, absolutely. And it's definitely enough to do an entire episode on. Uh, and we want to do that episode in the future. But OK, so so news just dropped on May 13th, 2014, that this arm has been approved for commercial manufacture and sale by the FDA, the the. Food and Drug Drug Administration, Administration, which is the governing body in the United States that has say over this kind of thing. So we wanted to share the story of who this Cayman person is and how he got into the medical tech business. So we are going to do a dreaded and or savored update episode. Yes. We are going to replay for you how segues work. Um, I, I hope I didn't re-listen to it. And this was from relatively early in my tech stuff days. So, so I really hope. It doesn't suck. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm, I am confident that it is a strong episode. So <laughs> let us not worry about such things, Lauren. Let us, let us listen back on how segues work. And when it's over, we'll come back and we'll wrap up a little bit. We've got some more information for you. Yeah. The segue, I think, is where a lot of people 
know Dean Kamen. Like they they heard about it that because of the segue. Well, it got it got a great deal of publicity, which we will talk about later in the episode because it was the the, the hype for it is can really only be called hype. It was very intense. It was it was like it was like if you had heard that this. Uh, rock and roll band that had not released an album in, in like 10 years was getting back together to do their first studio album. Uh, and, uh, that, you know, in a decade. And that would, that would be kind of similar to the hype buildup. And of that the not segue. only were they going to do an album, but they were going to revolutionize the entire music industry with this album. That's, that's fair. That's the level. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. fair. So we'll talk about that, uh, in uh, a bit. But first we wanted to kind of talk about actually what it was and how it worked. So if you were to look at one of these things, in case you have not seen it, it looks like a little two-wheeled scooter, but the wheels are uh, are, are side by side. They're not in line right. with one another. They're side by side. And you, when you would stand on a platform with the left wheel to your left and the right wheel to your right, there's a, a bar that comes straight up vertically from the platform. Uh, there are handlebars little attached handlebars to it. Handlebars that you hold on to. Mm-hmm. And then when you uh, when you lean, it moves. When you lean forward, it starts to move forward. When you lean backward, it stops. If you lean back enough, it'll go backward a little bit. But mm-hmm. it's um, and uh, and and the the new models these days, when you tilt the handlebars, that is how you steer. Yeah, uh, in the original one, you would twist one of the handlebars, the right handlebars, like so, revving a motorcycle style. Exactly, and if you if you twisted if you twisted one way, it would turn left, and if you twist the other way, it turns right. And it, the way it turns is kind of cool. Uh, when you lean forward, both wheels engage and start moving forward simultaneously. Correct. Uh, when you turn, only one wheel starts to move in one direction, and the other wheel uh, allows you to pivot on uh, on a dime. Oh, I mean, right, right. Yeah, it, it's a turning radius of zero. Yeah, a zero turning radius, which is pretty amazing. And uh, we'll talk about what he intended this device to do in the second half, I think. But first, we wanted to kind of talk about the actual technology that makes this possible. And uh, Dean came in before he had gone into developing the Segway, had already started to work on some pretty cool systems. He, he did some uh, work on uh, on uh, motorized wheelchairs that were capable of doing things like climbing up staircases. And that work kind of led him to the, the idea of, what if I created a device that could transport people at a good clip uh, and make it so that it it works on the same principle as what it's like when you're walking. Mm-hmm. So when you're walking... So it's intuitive, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it works in a way that feels natural to us. Although, I will tell you, the first time you get on a Segway, nothing feels natural about it. I haven't actually been on one. You have? I have. I've done... I've, I've been on a Segway. I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. But... Have you ever engaged in an activity where the first step requires you to do something that feels totally unnatural to you? So there's like a your body is actually resisting what you have to do. Uh, basically, that's me walking every day. But I mean, but but for for example, when I switched from a, a WASD keyboard. Uh, first-person shooters to uh, Xbox controller, I was like, "What is this?" See, for me, what I think of is like the first time when I was a little kid that I ever tried snorkeling. Because I put my face in the water and my body's telling me, for goodness sakes, man, whatever you do, don't breathe in. You're underwater. And, you know, my my rest of my brain is saying, foolish, scary reptile brain. That's not anything to worry about. You have a tube to the air, which is unobstructed. You can breathe all you like. And it took 
that leaped, not literally, I didn't literally leap, but it's hard to in water. No, yeah, I couldn't get enough traction, but it took that mental leap to get Mm -hmm. to a point where I felt comfortable. Same Mm -hmm. sort of thing on a Segway, because the way it works is that you start to lean forward as if you're going to take a step. Mm -hmm. Because basically what walking is, is controlled falling. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. You're you're throwing the upper part of your body forward. Uh-huh. You're you're essentially unbalancing yourself, and, and then counting you, on one leg or the other uh, in sequence, yeah. hypothet- hypothetically, to, exactly. to catch you. Right? Yeah, you just you're constantly catching yourself with your legs. You're you know, especially if you're if you're walking at a good pace. You know, you'll see people they're leaning into it, and uh, and that weight is what's helping them propel forward. And then they swing a leg out, which catches them, stops them from falling. And they use that leg to push them forward and then the other leg and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. And it's something that we, once we start to learn how to walk, it just becomes natural to us. We don't even think about it. Oh, right, right. Well, we've got all kinds of a really, really intricate inner ear sensory mechanisms to tell us when we're balanced and when we're off balanced and how everything is going. It's a really, it's such an automatic process that when you're not two, you're not thinking about it. Yeah. And what's also funny is that that, that same system of sensors that we have in our brain. Well, two things are funny. One thing is that a lot of that informed Dean Kamen when he was designing the Segway. He wanted to have a mechanical means to sort of recreate that. And the other thing is that these sensors are not uh, fail. They're not foolproof. Sure. We we can fool ourselves. Uh, this is partially what leads us to things like motion sickness, mm-hmm. where we get one set of input from a set of senses telling us one thing and a different set of input from other senses telling us another thing. And that, that conflict makes our brain say, okay, if that's how you're going to play it, we're losing lunch. That's it. Uh-huh. Uh, someone who has suffered from, uh, from car sickness motion sickness that way. Uh, strangely enough, never got seasick, but I've been motion sick from a car before. Uh. But anyway, so the, the they are fallible, these systems in our, our brains and in the Segway, as it turns out. So Dean Kamen wanted to create the Segway in such a way that it would uh, require you to lean forward as if you were going to take a step, and that would be the indicator to move. Right, and then and then sort of trust the machine. I, I imagine that that's where you that's have your jump. initial problem yes. because you're, you're you're leaning forward and you're not catching yourself. Yeah, and and you know you've already been told you've already been told do not take your foot off the platform to step and catch yourself because then you run yourself over. <laughs> so not only right. do you not you catch wearing, yourself. You're wearing a helmet at the time, hypothetically. But, yes, uh, I was wearing a helmet at the mm-hmm. time. That was, that was, um, that was a requirement. Right. Uh, I want to say that I was at Disney when I did this. It was at some park, and I think it was Disney. And it was uh, it was not the full Epcot tour, which we can talk about. I've got a little factoid on that. Uh, there is a, a, a tour, that very popular tour at Epcot that uh, uses segways. It wasn't that. It was just a little, like, familiarize yourself with this technology thing. And I was mm-hmm. like, I've always wanted to do this, and that's when I tried it. So I've only done it the one time. And I really would love to to have more time with it because it was an interesting experience. But yes, it requires you to move forward as if you were going to take a step, but not take your weight completely off your foot. Just lean forward as if you were about to start walking. And that makes the Segway go. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Now, the way it does that is it has a complex system of gyroscopes inside to kind of uh, let it know what orientation the Segway is in relative to the ground. Right. It has five gyroscopes, in fact. Technically, it's really only using three of them. Two of them are fail-safes. But yeah. 
Yeah, three of them are meant to detect things like forward, uh, leaning forward, leaning backward, and tilt to the left or right. Right. Okay, but so so a gyroscope. Let's talk about what a gyroscope is because this right. is a little bit integral. Yeah. Um. So it's it's basically just a spinning wheel inside a frame. Yeah. The frame itself is stable and free. Uh, the the spinning wheel uh, has um, well, it's rotating around an axis. Sure. Right. So you've got the axis at the center of the wheel. The wheel rotates. And then it res- it resists changes, forces uh, that would change the alignment of that gyroscope. So, oh, be- because if you push on the on the spinning wheel, the it's just going to transfer into. It's it's called precessing. Okay. This is a really is this is an interesting thing. It's actually it's one of those things that's kind of difficult to explain in an audio podcast. Uh, first of all, let me tell you that at HowStuffWorks com we have an article on how gyroscopes work which includes video showing what I'm about to talk about so if you have trouble visualizing what I'm about to explain despite the fact that we're both gesticulating wildly yeah I really I mean there's only so much I can get across in radio right uh, but you can go there and, and look it up but what a gyroscope does is this, this whole thing of precessing is imagine that you have a bicycle wheel suspended from a string so okay. the strings tied to the ceiling somewhere the bicycle wheels hanging down the the uh, string is tied to the axis of the wheel, so it could still spin freely, okay? Got it. Now, if you were to align that wheel so it's vertical uh, relative to the ground, so the wheel is as if it was on a bicycle that you were riding down the street, sure. okay? Uh, the string is tied to one side of that axis. So there's a, a string that's coming down on one side of the axis. The other side of the axis doesn't have a string tied to it. So there's nothing to keep it vertical. Okay. If you were to just let go, that wheel would flop down into the horizontal uh, uh, formation. It would just be parallel to the ground. Correct. More or less. If you were to turn it vertical and then start spinning the wheel, it would remain vertical. Really? And it would slowly begin to rotate around the string. So it, that's the precession, is that it's rotating around a different axis perpendicular to the one of its main motion. Now, why is it staying vertical as opposed to flopping over? The reason for that is that if you were to uh, apply a force to, say, uh, let's say you've got the bicycle wheel spinning in your arms. Okay, you're you're holding the you're holding the axis uh, in front of you, and the wheel is vertical, and you've got it spinning. You can do this. I've seen science museums that have had this, where you sit in a, a, a swivel chair and you hold the um, the bicycle wheel in front of you, like you extend your arms out so that the wheel can spin freely in front of you. Uh, if you try and tilt that wheel, you'll feel resistance, and the reason for that. Is that imagine that, uh, you know, take a still image, like you're able to freeze time. Okay. Okay. Oh, I can. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's good. And you're going to tilt the wheel so that the top of the wheel, from your perspective, would be moving to the left and the bottom of the wheel would be moving to the right. You're tilting it on a diagonal. Okay. Now, as that wheel is spinning, the point where you would be turning it to the left, that, that's, you're applying a force to that section. So imagine, imagine a, a spot at the very top of the wheel, at the vertical apex of that wheel. Uh-huh. Okay. That's where you're applying the force to move to the left. Now, the wheel's actually spinning. So if we were to jump ahead, 20 frames. Now the point is directly in front of the wheel. It's no longer at the top. It is rotated around to be in the front. And uh, uh, it still wants to go toward the left. Go ahead another 20 frames. Now the point is at the bottom of the wheel. It still wants to go to the left, but the force you're applying is trying to make the bottom of the wheel go to the right. 
So the force you're applying is trying to push the wheel's direction in one way, but because that reference point was at the top at the beginning and it's still trying to go to the left from when you were applying the force at the very beginning, those two forces cancel each other out. It resists the the force to make it move in a different direction. And uh, then you also have the precession. So if you're sitting in a swivel chair, you start to spin around. It's kind of fun. Uh, this is a great, cheap way to entertain small children. Um, anyway... It's an interesting, just an interesting uh, fact of physics is that you know, a gyroscope in this this uh, stable frame will react in this way. But so, okay, so so the the point of gyroscopes being in devices like this is that if you measure the position of the spinning wheel inside of its frame, you can determine um, the, the the pitch and the pitch rate. Yeah, exactly. You're you're looking at like the the frame itself can move freely within the. Uh, confines of whatever it is you're talking whatever about. Whatever device you're talking right. about. Right. Whether it's, it could be a Segway, it could be an airplane, it could be a phone. Um, and so it, it can move freely within that context. And it may be a solid state drive, as is the case with, uh, the Segway. It right. may not be an actual physical gyroscope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. Right. And, uh, but if you're able to do that in such a way, then the gyroscope and the, uh, the pitch detection will allow the, uh, will give enough information so that some sort of processor can take that information in and know what orientation the Segway is in relative to the ground. Right. So by detecting these changes and by detecting the forces that are enacting upon these different gyroscopes, the Segway can interpret that and say, oh, I should engage the motor to drive forward or I should stop or I should move backwards. Move backward. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. I should I should probably put up a warning because this guy is really leaning over a bit too far. Right, right. Um, but so so yeah. So the kind of gyroscopes that are that are in a Segway are these solid state angular rate sensors. Yes. That um that are basically the way that I understand it, it's a little silicon plate. Yes. And I think I actually said that the correct way the first time. Yes, you did. Win. It's silicon, not silicone. You're exactly right. <laughs> two two separate issues. Um, and so it's a, it's a silicon silicon plate mounted on a support frame yes. and uh, uh you run you run an electrostatic current across the plate uh-huh. it wiggles the silicon particles around yes. and makes the plate as a whole vibrate in a very predictable way right um and when there's a a physical change in the forces uh meaning when you've tilted in some way yeah 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 when when you physically move the plate on its axis uh-huh. ax axis yes <laughs> Talking is great. Uh, the particles suddenly shift and the vibration changes. Right. And by changing of vibration, you know that there is a change in the state that you are in, whether that's a tilt or you know whatever other thing you might have this gyroscope in. But in the case of the Segway, we're talking about specifically the tilt of the Segway itself. Right. So if you hook a computer up to this, it can measure the precise change. Right. And, and, and interpret it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So if it says like, oh, it's changed a little bit, like the vibration has changed a little bit, indicating that the person is starting to lean forward, time to engage the motors. If it's changed a lot, it might mean that the person has leaned forward pretty hard, which indicates that you should move at a faster pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got these motors that will engage in order to uh, activate the wheels and the wheels begin to turn and that's where you get the motion. So um, the, the thing that's keeping this all going is... Uh, uh, you know, you've got the gyroscopic sensors, that's giving the information, but then you have two circuit boards that have controllers on them, uh, has 10 microprocessors total in the original Segway. And those microprocessors are what's taking in all this information and, uh, and, and translating it into action. Yeah, yeah, that, that first one, um, the, the microprocessors would check the position sensors about a hundred times per second. That's right. 
Yeah, so that way it can make sure that it's giving the right information to the motors so that you're you're moving at the right speed compared to how you are uh how you're physically manipulating the Segway. Right, right. It's, it's also got in there um, a couple of tilt sensors filled with electrolyte fluid, electrolytes being, of course, what plants crave. Thank you. Um, Brondo. <laughs> which, which is, again, just like your inner ear. Um, yeah, yeah. It's uh, Your inner ear has fluid in it, and that's what helps you determine what your orientation is relative to your environment. This is why one of the reasons why when people go up in the uh, the the vomit comet, mm-hmm. that's why it's called that. Because when you're in the vomit comet, you're you're the sensory information you're getting from your eyes and from your your you know what you're feeling is so different from what your inner ear is trying to make sense of when this fluid is suddenly oh, in right, a free sure. fall. Yeah, yeah. It's basically you've just got this little sensor in your head where you've got a level of fluid, and that is how you calibrate yourself to the ground by based on on where the fluid is tilting. Right, and and in a free fall motion, that that information ends up being a little weird, and so a lot of people end up, again, losing their lunch, mm-hmm. which is why they often refer to the planes that take these these flights as the vomit comet. Yeah, but it is interesting that the Segway itself has this electrolyte. Now, Grant, you don't have to worry about your Segway losing its lunch. Don't worry about that part. That part, similarity has now ended. But other than that, it is using a very similar approach to detect tilt as the way humans do, which, again, kind of cool that Dean Kamen is taking taking you know direction from the way our bodies do stuff to help inform him on the way he makes technology. I, I, bl- I blame it on his extensive medical background. He, yeah. And again, the Luke arm, another example of that, mm-hmm, right? He, yeah. He's taking that, that how do humans do things and how can we make technology that emulates this? Yeah. He was also, uh, when he was in college, he was the first, uh, he invented the first drug injection pump. And later, the first portable insulin pump, which is part of how he made such huge such amounts crazy of money. Millions, and then, yeah. and the the cool thing to me is that it's obvious that what drives him is a desire to innovate and to help people. Yeah, and he talks very passionately. There's some really really good interviews with him. Uh, we'll link them on social, where he's talking about watching people use his inventions for the first time, and and them kind you you know pe- people who haven't been able to move this way yeah ever yeah and in some cases and, and them and just the amount of pride and and just awesome that happens yeah when the that fact goes. that 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 is what what really uh, uh, gives him an incentive to continue. Yeah, it's pretty interesting stuff. It's it's a really cool story. And in fact, there's a whole section of the Segway story that we need to get into, which involves the whole uh, hype issue and a little bit more about the the original Segway models that came out uh, and uh, and some controversy that Segway has had over the years. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But first, before we do that, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. Let's segue back into our episode, shall we? Oh, no. I couldn't resist. And so uh, just a few more facts about the original Segway. Uh, Keep in mind that they've made several different models over the course of the Segway's life. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the earlier ones, uh, they had a top speed of about 12 and a half miles per hour, which is around 20 kilometers per hour. Oh, right. Uh, I think in in some other countries it was maybe 13 and a half, but, but yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. It all depended on. Uh, well, it also depended on what which model you had, uh-huh, because they did they did do a range of them. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, we have an article on our site how the Segway works, and that one we specifically looked at the Segway HT, which was one of the earlier models. Mm-hmm. Uh, it required about six hours of charging. It had a range of around seventeen miles, which was about twenty eight kilometers. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, the current Segways are called PT, which stands for Personal Transporter. Uh, and they have a whole line of them that do different things. Yeah, for for uh, for 
Like city travel versus off-road. Versus security purposes. They've got one specifically for golf courses. Yep. They've got some where they have like uh, all these containers on them so that you can carry stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you have to transport things. Granted, none of them are going to uh, replace the minivan. So soccer moms are not going to be able to. I mean, I guess you could maybe tie a couple of uh, of uh, 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 red wagons behind and just like like a mama duck. I was really waiting for you to say like small children to the handlebars, and then, I was like, I don't think that I that's, wouldn't. I, don't I, I wouldn't advocate that. that. I wouldn't no. advocate that. I wouldn't advocate the, the the wagons actually either. That would be a disaster. But anyway, um, the the motors of those early Segways had a, about two horsepower worth of power, and had a two stage transmission with a twenty four to one gear ratio with a helical gear assembly, and it was actually a harmonic assembly. Yeah, they uh, they engineered it so that the sounds that the the two meshes in the gearbox would were exactly two octaves apart. Right. So they would harmonize. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Some might say crazy. Um, it weighed the original, the, the HT, the one that we talked about in our article, weighed about uh, 83 pounds, which is about 38 kilograms. And it could carry a person of up to 260 pounds, which is about 118 kilograms, or for my friends in England, 18 and a half stone. Uh, it had uh, two lithium ion batteries to supply power. Uh, rechargeable, rechargeable, obviously. You wouldn't want to have to plop out a different battery every 15 to 17 miles or so. Bad times. Um, and it used an electronic key system with 128-bit encrypted digital code. So you had this key that would plug into... It's sort of like a little like like flash drive-shaped yeah, thing. Yeah. Except that, you wouldn't have called it that then because... Right. You would have called it... Well, you could have called it that then. They'd had flash at that point, but it, it really wasn't. But it was a digital key that has 128-bit encrypted code on it so that the Segway will only work with that code and uh, you don't have to worry about someone, not necessarily not have to worry about it, but if someone did run off with your Segway, they couldn't use it. Right. They, um, they would have to literally lift it up and move it away, which but, kind of defeats the point. Right. Purpose. Right. So that's that's the that's the basic mm-hmm. model that we talked about in our in our uh, uh, not our podcast, our article. But there are quite a few other ones that are out now. Like I said, there's the the I2, which is your basic normal terrain uh, Segway. Mm-hmm. And then the there's the X2, which is the. <laughs> The off-road, the yes, X2 the adventure, off-road, X2 yeah. adventure, off-road travel. Yeah, and they've even got some that were, you know, they worked with DARPA to to design um, a kind of Segway that was used as a, a platform for robotics. Right. Um, they've worked. Uh, they've created different models, like three-wheeled and four-wheeled uh, vehicles, based on the Segway technology. Um, for various things. Uh, Here in Atlanta, we have uh, Atlanta ambassadors. These are people who are in downtown Atlanta who often help out during uh, big events. Like when when something's going on downtown and, and, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of people there. Uh, These folks are there to kind of help give directions. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, someone's like, hey, I'm looking for the Georgia Aquarium. Where do I go from here? I was oh, you need to walk down this two blocks and take a left, that kind of thing. A lot of them have segways. So I see them whenever I'm downtown for, you know, Dragon Con or mm-hmm. St. Patrick's Day Parade, which uh, at the time of this recording will be in just a couple of days. Um, so but they, they have them. I've seen them in airports. A lot of airports have ha- I've seen, uh, especially airport security on sure. these. I've seen police on these. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, they were big at the uh, Beijing Olympics. Yep. In 2008. In fact, I want to say that um, that. The most I well, I think the most I ever saw at one point was actually at Epcot because, like I said, uh, Epcot Center 
Um, not Epcot Center. They, mm-hmm. they used to be called Epcot Center. <laughs> I, I was there when it opened because, as Lauren has pointed out numerous times, I'm old. But I remember uh, going to Epcot and seeing people on these, and that was probably the first time I saw them in person. But go back to when it was uh, unveiled, or even before it was unveiled. Cayman actually came up with the idea in the late 90s, like 99. Mm-hmm. And he had this idea of creating devices that could operate on pedestrian sidewalks and paths. And in 2001... The company that would become Segway broke ground on its manufacturing plant in New Hampshire, mm-hmm. which is where uh, Dean Kamen's from. Uh-huh. Yeah, they, they broke ground in February and I think uh, completed it in November. Yep, yep, right in November, December. And they adopted the name Segway in December 2001. And that's actually when they unveiled the Segway, the first mm-hmm. models of it, uh, on Good Morning America, a television program that's kind of a, a news-oriented television program here in, uh, in the United States. And uh, I actually saw this. I saw the unveiling episode. Uh, yeah, I, you, uh, you you stayed home, stayed home from work. You. Uh, I didn't stay home from no. work. I delayed leaving. <laughs> uh, not that I'm right. going to. Am I going to get in trouble? I mean, I haven't worked for this company in years. In 2001. I was not working for How Stuff Works. I was I was not here. I was working for a totally different company. I did drag my feet leaving the house that morning because I knew that this was happening. Everywhere in the news, it had been that there was going to be this incredible, incredible device. And it had two code names that I recall mm-hmm. off the top of my head. One was IT. Right. All, all caps, IT. What, like like what the scary clown. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one was, nice, Pennywise. Uh, the other one was, Tim Curry was in the uh-huh. television adaptation. Creepy of guy. Um, Stephen King. Uh, the the second one uh, was Ginger. Ginger, yeah, uh, and that was it. Was it had been codenamed Ginger based on the fact that the uh, wheelchair that uh, Decca had designed earlier was called Fred Upstairs within the lab, uh, based on Fred Astaire, right? Because they were they were saying that it just dances right up the stairs. Right, magically. it was a wheelchair that could climb stairs. Uh-huh. So Fred and then Ginger, and so and so Ginger. And of so course, Ginger could do everything Fred could do backwards. In heels. In heels. Uh, so not that the segue necessarily did, but I, it's just one of my favorite little quotes. Um, um, but, but but so uh, a journalist had started writing this book called Codename Ginger. Uh-huh. And it was leaked at the beginning of 2001, uh, I think by Inside.com. Okay. And this is, I think, what really created all of this insane hype. Right. Because it was the, the book took such pains to not talk specifically about what this machine did. But it was going to change the world, and and you got these quotes from people like like Steve Jobs, yeah, that were like, "This is this is going to be bigger than the PC." Again, without it actually revealing what it was, was that the people who had found out about it said it was going to be this phenomenal technology that was going to fundamentally change the way we live, mm-hmm. and and it was built up so much. I mean, hype is is seems like a like a good thing, hypothetically. Well, well I was but, going to say that hype is probably not even strong enough of a word, considering that you know the deliverables that were being promised on based on this technology that no one outside of a very small group of people uh-huh. had any knowledge about. People were saying that that cities were going to be redesigned around this thing, right. and and that it was going to be bigger than the internet. Yeah, and then. Good Morning America had its unveiling. And before the the show, I remember like days before the show aired, 
there were already rumors that it was going to be some sort of motorized scooter device. And this was based off patents that had been filed, as sure. well as Dean Kamen's previous work with the wheelchairs and things of that mm-hmm. nature. And so uh, when it actually happened, like I was hoping at the time that it wasn't going to end up being a scooter because I was thinking like if it's something totally different, that's going to be awesome. If it's a scooter, it still could be awesome, but it's going to be but... it's not going to be as cool as if it were something totally out of left field. And then I saw it and I thought, well, that's interesting, but is it really going to change the world? And I understood what, what, what they were going for. They were saying that, you know, especially in cities, particularly in cities, which is where the majority of people tend to live. Not, sure. that, not that there aren't plenty There's of people out in rural areas. Population density, yeah. Yeah, you've got very dense populations in cities that traffic is a real problem. You've got people who are getting in their cars to go relatively short distances to do uh, basic stuff. Like here in Atlanta... Uh, there's, I think we mentioned the traffic on the show about once every other episode. Well, but yeah, and not just traffic though. I was going to say that we don't have like our, our public transportation system is not doesn't measure up to public transportation systems in, in some other cities like uh-huh. D.C. or New York or Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, now we do have one, and it and you can use it, mm-hmm. but it's just not ideal. It's not doesn't run as frequently as some other cities, and it doesn't it doesn't go to as many places exactly. Mm-hmm. So that means that if you want to get around it. Atlanta and you want to do it effectively, you pretty much have to have a car. And the idea was that for cities like Atlanta and other cities that have similar issues, the Segway could end up allowing you to go further than you would if you were on foot Mm -hmm. uh, and not clog up all the streets. So it would alleviate traffic problems. Mm -hmm. It would start because it's an electric vehicle. It does not actually generate any uh, any. Uh, uh, greenhouse gases mm-hmm. or toxins, although you could argue that depending on how the electricity was generated, that's still a problem. It's just not being created it, by the right, vehicle right. itself. It's not direct. It's just a couple steps. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that would also be a thing and that it would, uh, you know, it could, it could really be a big benefit. But for that to work, you have to have an infrastructure that supports that kind of transportation. Mm-hmm. At the very least, uh, bike lanes... Uh, or, or really wide sidewalks. Really wide sidewalks. One of the big things that uh, that DECA and Segway were trying to do was create legislature that would allow the Segway to to go on sidewalks. And right. They had huge pushback from a lot of communities. I think that it's that they're banned entirely on sidewalks in the UK. Maybe in um, some places they are. I know mm-hmm. in some cities they definitely are. It, it varies was, state by state and municipality by municipality. It, but. it probably doesn't surprise you to know that the first state to uh, legalize the Segway on pedestrian sidewalks was, in fact, New Hampshire. Right. Where the Segway was located, it was that that was passed into law on February fifteenth, two thousand two, uh, and uh, and it wasn't until November eighteenth, two thousand two, that Segways went on sale to the public for the first time on Amazon.com. Right. Beyond that, uh, you've got like 2005 was when Disney World was introducing the Around the World at Epcot Segway Tour. So for those who have not been to Epcot, it's divided into two big sections. You have the the future world section where it's all about energy and transportation and uh, the the things that are going to be important to us in the years to come and kind of the innovations that we can expect or maybe even stuff that, you know, is really far out there. Maybe it'll never happen. That yeah, kind of yeah, thing. yeah. The other one is the World Showcase, which has it's almost like a, a permanent World's Fair. Yeah, it has a, a it has different pavilions that represent various countries in the world, 
And the uh, the Around the World Segway Tour was a Segway Tour that would take you around the world showcase. And it was like a two-hour-long tour. And it would allow you to start to uh, explore the world showcase a couple of hours before it was open to the general public. Because the way that Epcot works, or at least it used to, I assume it still does, uh, is when the doors would open, meaning that when they would they'd let you into the park, you could only go into the future world part for the first couple of hours. The okay. world showcase would be held off. And like, like if the park opens at 8 a.m., then the world showcase sure. would open at 10. So this tour would allow you to go through the world showcase at 8 a.m. So you don't have to worry about running down Jimmy, who isn't paying attention because he wants a Mickey Mouse doll. Right. Yeah. Uh, Disney has actually banned the use of segways other than in their tours. Yeah, uh, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, well, one of the problems that it's had with all of this is that um, segways are not technically graded for medical use. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, although they can help people with disabilities move from one place to another, because uh, because Decca worked with Johnson and Johnson on some of their um, some of the gyroscopic platform technology. Uh-huh. Johnson and Johnson actually owns that copyright and for for medical use. And Interesting. So, yeah, I did not know that. That didn't come up in my research. I know that on September fourteenth, two thousand six, they actually issued a recall for twenty three thousand segways, and that because, is all of them. At yeah, that, that was time. that was all of them at that at that time because uh, there was a software glitch, and that software glitch would cause the wheels to occasionally and spontaneously reverse direction, which obviously that would be a bad thing. I mean, imagine if you're, if you're riding on it and you're not strapped into this thing, which you're not. Then. Yeah, well, it's like like the the way I explain it to people is that imagine you're walking down uh down the street and then suddenly the ground underneath you shifts direction the opposite the way you know you would end up on your back. Pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, there were people who fell off the Segway, which, you know, when, when it was first introduced, that was one of the big things as they were saying that, you know, because of all the gyroscopes, it'd be really not that it'd be impossible, but, but it'd be hard. To you would have off. to be trying. But then what this software glitch, you know, made it very easy to fall off a Segway if it happened. And in fact, people were, ended up getting some injuries, like some broken wrists and things like yeah, that. Yeah. There, there was a smaller recall back in uh, 2003 because when the charge got too low, the, the Segway would just stop very abruptly. And so oh, they had yeah. to... They so had then to... You, you'd start tumbling off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, I know that in, in 2009, uh, Dean came and ended up selling the company and he sold it to uh, Jim Hesselden, whose last name I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing correctly. But I'm not sure. He was He's... known as Jimmy. Jimmy. Uh, mm-hmm. In the UK. Uh, and he was a guy who was a, a businessman and a philanthropist, mm-hmm. uh, really, really known for his philanthropic endeavors. And tragically, in September 2010, he, uh, uh, Hesselden died in an accident. Uh, he actually. Involving a Segway. Yeah. yeah, he was on a Segway and he ended up falling off the edge of a cliff in a wooded area. He was in one of the off-road Segways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, supposedly he uh, encountered a walker on a path and, uh, and reversed to get out of the walker's way and tumbled over. Oh, I did not, I didn't see that that's, part. Uh, that, that's, that's kind of unconfirmed. I think that I read that on like, on like Daily Mail or something gotcha. like that. So I'm gotcha. not. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it was a tragic accident. Mm-hmm. It was a terrible thing. And, and, uh, and I, you know, I cannot say for certain, but I have a feeling that that was part of what prompted Segway to uh, insert. So if you go to visit the Segway website, a little Segway safety pop up mm-hmm. will appear and tell you that, you know, you need to review the safety procedures of uh, and know how to ride a Segway in order for you to uh, operate one safely. Mm-hmm. And so there's a there's an actual pop up that will obscure your view of the Segway website until you you know dismiss it. And um, they even have a full video that explains, you know, how the Segway works 
and the best way to operate it safely so that you don't end up injuring yourself. Um, and on February 28th, 2013, Segway was acquired by Summit Strategic Investments, LLC, mm-hmm. which is the current company that owns the brand. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we are right now. Well, just, uh, just a few. Actually, on this March 6th, uh, they announced the development of a three-wheel security device. That's um, right. Planned to be coming out in uh, Q4 uh this this year uh 2013 yep um and and yeah i mean you know so it's a reading all about this kind of broke my heart because cuz Cayman was so passionate about how this this terrific device could really change the world and change people's lives and mm-hmm. change our cityscapes for the better and it fizzled so much uh you know it's we we talked about how the company debuted in 2002 they started selling the things in 2006 they had only sold 23,000 units. They were hoping to have been selling 40,000 per year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of things happened. It was, uh, it, it's been a tough time the past decade or so for consumer. Right. Yeah. You've had economic downturns. Mm-hmm. You've had resistance on the part of many municipalities to allow the Segway to travel along things like sidewalks. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also other just practical considerations. I mean, obviously, a Segway is great if you happen to live in a place where the climate is nice and mild. Sure. But if you are in a place that gets a lot of rain, mm-hmm. a Segway is not, you know, you're not going to be covered in the rain. You're mm-hmm. going to actually be out there. Mm-hmm. And depending upon how the Segway is made, it may not operate so well in the rain <laughs> after a while. Or, you know, like I've um, hung out in New Hampshire. There are many months in New Hampshire that I would not want to be to riding be, right. a Segway down a sidewalk. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's lots of reasons why the Segway adoption may have been slower. And I think the main one is just that, you know, we were so far along in the infrastructure that we rely on already. Right. Like we're, we're so dependent upon a certain way for our cities to, to work for us to get around in comfortably that to expect a change in that is a little on the optimistic side. It mm-hmm. would require a huge amount of effort, time and money. And, and when I say a huge amount of time, I'm talking decades to really oh, yeah. refit a city in such a way so it would be ideal for using uh, something like a Segway. Particularly if you're in a city that has a, uh, actually a fairly healthy pedestrian population. Healthy as in there are a lot of people out there walking. Right, right. Not necessarily that they're all in great health. <laughs> uh, Atlanta, not so great for pedestrians, ten, I would say. I mean, pedestrians... Oh, just... no. We have very few sidewalks uh, outside of our main metropolitan areas. And, you know, that's the other thing with these segways is that I think that the concept was always for them to be secondary to a car, to, like, yeah. have a car and then have the segway in it and, you know, park the car somewhere and then take the Segway out and go about your business. Right. Or, or if you happen to live like, you know, two miles away from a market, then you could just take the Segway there. And then you can the use it for there. that, sure. But, you know, but it, when these units cost over five grand a pop. Yeah. And they weigh almost 100 pounds. Uh-huh. Then you, know, it, that's, you know, it's not easy to carry them around. Yeah. That's, um, that's, that's one of me. So that's, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. See, it wasn't that bad. As if we just listened to it. Yeah, that that was hypothetically terrific. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, the Segway story certainly had a uh, tough road ahead of oh, it. Oh, no. You know, oh. it, well, it, it was one of those things. The Segway was one of those things that, that would require a massive change in infrastructure here in the United States in order for it to be a viable solution for a, a large part of the population, right? Uh, I mean, sure. I, I certainly can't see me riding down one on the sidewalk because I'd be a, a, a hazard to pedestrians. And there's not really a lot of room for me to ride on roads. So in order for it to be a really useful means of transportation, we'd have to make some pretty big 
changes. Yeah, the entire infrastructure of how we create sidewalks and roads would have to change. But the Luke arm has got a much more promising, in my eyes, uh, prospect. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. As part of its trials, the FDA reviewed a study that was done by the Department of Veterans Affairs in which they, they fitted 36 participants with one of these prostheses and collected information about how it performed during you know, common life tasks, you know, like household chores, self-care stuff and and et cetera. The study found that some 90 percent of the participants found the arm an improvement over their previous prosthesis and were thereby able to do things like prepare food or feed themselves, or use zippers, or brush their hair, or, or use locks and keys. And those sound, I mean, if those sound like really basic tasks for something to do, I mean, A, they're actually incredibly complicated, and the mm-hmm. force feedback motor system that your hands use is is so complex and so difficult to replicate in robotics. But if you ever want to see me cry at my desk, um, send me a YouTube link to to an amputee who is using a Luke arm to do something like open an envelope. Right. And I will absolutely break down. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, when you hear the story about how the government approached Dean Kamen, and said, here are the things we want you to be able to do with this arm. This is before they had designed anything. Right. This was just the government coming up to Dean Kamen and saying, "Here, here's our list of things we want to be able to do. We want you to do them. Uh, and we're going to give you $18 million to try and do it. And Dean came and said, you are crazy. <laughs> um, the things included everything from having the arm be at, le- at, at most the same weight as a, as a human arm would be. Mm-hmm. To have as many degrees of freedom as possible. And to be able to do things like pick up a grape without crushing it, and even to be able to tell the difference by, quote-unquote, feel between a grape and a raisin, so that you could not only pick them up, but that you would have some force feedback that would let the wearer have a sensation that lets them know certain properties of whatever it is they are touching with their robotic arm. These are incredible requirements. And so, yeah, I, I agree that we're going to have to do a really a really deep look at the Luke arm in the future because it is a phenomenal piece of technology. Oh, absolutely. And and it is cleared by the FDA for, for its electrical software and battery systems and also its safety and durability. So the, the challenge now is turning this, this what turned into a $100 million project into a commercially viable product that, you know, can can also help common people live better lives. So Cayman and, and the company, DECA, are now on a hunt for manufacturing and marketing partners who will be able to make the arm both affordable and hopefully for them profitable. There's there's no word yet on a release date or price. But once we get that kind of information, may, maybe once it hits the early market, we'll do that full episode. Yeah. I would love to have a, a really good look at it. Everything from the actual history of the development to its final specs and how they managed to achieve this remarkable technological advance. I mean, just being able to power all those joints that you, you have to have a power source, not just a motor, but a power source for all that. Mm-hmm. And, and batteries has, are not light. Oh, sure. And it has not one, I think, but but two power sources at different segments of the arm. Mm. So. So, yeah, it's I mean, this is this is pretty amazing engineering. And frankly, one of the stories that makes me feel uh, get all the warm fuzzies, too. Like, I love these stories about people who look on an engineering challenge that's not just difficult, but has a measurable effect upon people who can then take advantage of it, especially people 
who have suffered a, a loss of some sort. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a really heartwarming kind of a, a application of technology. So we will definitely do a full episode on that once we have, like Lauren said, more information. Meanwhile, you guys have any uh, any topics you want to hear more about, something that you, you're just curious about, you maybe have always wondered and you thought, I want to get a real in-depth look at this. Uh, or perhaps something that you heard about in the news and would like a deeper dive into. Yeah, let us know. Uh, send us an email. Our address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com, which I, I, I'm hoping is working. <laughs> uh, or send us a, a line on uh, Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr with the handle techstuffhsw. If the email doesn't work, we do check all three of those. So let us know. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 